Welcome to Totes Profesh, a corporate America millennial woman's totally unprofessional musings about work, culture, and life. Nobody asked, but I'm sharing my thoughts anyway. So if you're an A-type overachieving professional woman under 40, working in corporate America, have an advanced degree, student loans, but never had a vision board, this podcast is for you. I am your undercover host. Literally, I am speaking to you from under a blanket because supposedly it's good for acoustics. But quite literally, I plan on speaking to you anonymously because in order to do this podcast and remain gainfully employed, I can't use my real name, as I'm sure you can all understand. And the thing I want to talk to you today about is something I call the broken female myth. I think for most of you out there who are all overachievers, especially if in your 30s, you've put in a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and then some to climb the corporate ladder and have probably received less than the results you had expected. And maybe have even had the opportunity to see a male counterpart or even someone junior to you ascend and fall ass backwards into some position or opportunity that makes no sense. And as the rest of this country in this post-George Floyd aftermath that we're experiencing, we are listening time and time again to these corporations promise that they are committed to diversity inclusion and putting out all this messaging, promising to commit money to different endeavors. But in reality, if you're someone who's spent any meaningful time in corporate America, you know it's all a crock of shit. Now, for all zero of my male listeners, just so you know, Your female colleagues are subjected to company women's networking groups. About 90% of companies in the U.S. have these. And their sole purpose is to get all the women together in a room for photo ops to post to their social media and hold out as proof that they are committed to the women at their companies. And when they're not doing that, they usually bring in consultants who are, of course, paid for by the company. And they tell you that the only thing holding you back, ladies, the only thing holding you back from ascending to the highest ranks is you. If you just learn to do a few things differently, like change your personality and lean in and take up space, but not too much space, but power pose, but with Don't impose, though. Advocate for yourself, but don't be pushy. Uh, Demonstrate executive presence, but make your presence non-threatening. Speak up, but avoid up-speak. Exude confidence in a completely approachable way. Be ambitious, but not overtly. And lastly, smile. Then everything is there for the taking. And if you're not able to do that, then sorry, ladies. Your lack of advancement's all your fault. And frankly, I am tired of being coached, mentored, empowered, seen, heard, and every other verb except promoted. And I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out where does this come from, this idea that our lack of advancement in our careers or our stalling out of careers is somehow really our own fault. And the only thing I can point to is this anecdote that I'm sure you've all heard of. It goes like this. Men will apply for a job when they meet 60% of a job's requirements, whereas women will only apply when they meet 100% of the job's requirements. 
It was cited in Sheryl Sandberg's 2013 Lean In. It was also used in 2014 for the Confidence Code. And it's been cited by numerous career coaches and women's networking groups and numerous think pieces as proof for what has come to be called the confidence gap. The idea that women lack the confidence that men have when it comes to advocating for their own advancement in the workplace. And it's just bullshit. The reason it's bullshit and the reason why I called it an anecdote is this. What this supposed statistic comes from is an internal report from Hewlett-Packard. One company, one time, supposedly, did an internal review to try to figure out why women were not taking jobs at the highest levels. And they said that women in their company only applied when they had 100% of the criteria listed, whereas men would be more willing to take a shot with 60%. And I remember the first time I heard it, and I thought to myself, that seems like an indictment of the culture of that company. It seems as though the women in that company know full well that if they're ever going to get a promotion, they better come correct. Because if they come with only 60% of the requirements, they don't have a shot in hell. But instead, one company's internal report has become the backbone to an entire cottage industry built around the assumption that somehow us women are broken and we don't understand our work environments and we don't understand the job market. And it's because of that that we hold ourselves back rather than looking at it and saying, hey, maybe women aren't broken. Maybe we actually fully understand And have seen numerous women who've come before us, and we know that women are not promoted in this culture based off of potential. They have to show up with a proven track record and a proven history of exceeding expectations and having done precisely what the job requires. I don't think that the women of Hewlett-Packard, a technology company, aka an industry that continues to struggle with diversity and representation of women today in 2020, were misreading the room. I think that this study, if it even existed, shows that they were part of a very toxic culture. Another possible interpretation is that these women actually showed up at HP fully confident, but over time were robbed of their self-confidence. Maybe there was a confidence gap because of their experience and because of the environment in which they were working, where their efforts and contributions were minimized, ignored, and their mistakes punished and held against them more so than their male counterparts. I question whether the study even exists because the citation to this HP study actually only first appeared in 2008 in a McKinsey study called the Business Case for Women. But the Business Case for Women study doesn't actually cite to any study. No one has seen publicly this HP study to even understand what questions were asked. How was it ascertained that this behavior is true? Whether or not there is something more to it, like maybe we should have asked HP who got the job, the woman who had 100% of the requirements or the man who applied with only 60%, because it would have been very informative to know if that despite having 100% or 90%, HP was only hiring the guy who had 60% or 70% of the job requirements. But who are the biggest promulgators of this myth? The people who have the most to gain from it. 
the number one purveyors of this anecdote fall into four categories. One, companies, the corporations themselves, because it allows them to not face or take any count of accountability for what is happening within their companies. Instead, they can just lay blame to the marginalized group. The second group of purveyors of this stat are corporate consultants, McKinsey, the companies that go in there and provide these services or analyses for the companies, and they don't want to bite the hand that feeds them. They want to make sure it it would be very unfavorable for them if they were to come out and say, look, Corporation ABC, turns out you're extremely sexist, racist, and have a very toxic culture. That consultant would never be invited back. The third category of people who love to trot out this statistic are career coaches. There has been a boon in the industry of career coaching. I can't even tell you how many career coaches I've met for women. And of course, what a great gig. It would be amazing to be able to tell people you have a problem that I can fix. But first, I need to deeply believe there is a problem. And this is one of those things that people love to point to. Ladies, you're not leaning in, you're not raising your hand, you're not applying, you lack confidence, but hire me for this fee and I'll help you get confidence. I'll change everything. Now, it is not the consultant or career coach's fault that women are taking them up on these services. I think that it's a function of women and my friends and myself included looking for a reason, looking for an explanation as to why our careers are not advancing as one would logically assume. I've seen a number of dopes who move ahead, who seem to fall up. And I swear I am doing 110%. I am giving my all. And yet somehow I just completely fall through the cracks. There must be a solution. And a career coach provides some comfort, some consolation that you're not leaving anything on the table and doing everything in your power to achieve everything that you hope for in your career. The fourth category of people who love to trot out the 60%, 100% anecdote are really women who have a book to sell. <laughs> that's, that's the fourth category. Uh, a career consultant who also has books that she sells, Tara Moore, she has the most recent iteration or interpretation of the uh, 60%, 100% anecdote. She did a survey of a 1,000 men and women, unclear how many men and women were in the survey, and she asked them why they didn't apply for certain jobs. And the number one response among both men and women is that I didn't think I'd be hired because I didn't have the qualifications. I didn't want to waste my time and energy. But a number of different publications have picked up that response and said, look, women once again do not have confidence in their abilities, even though that was also the number one response for men. I think something that was more interesting about her study is that she found there were two areas of responses that women provided more than the men. Women were more likely to say, I didn't think they would hire me since I didn't meet the qualifications and I didn't want to put myself out there if I was likely to fail. Women were also more likely than men to say I was following the guidelines about who should apply. Tara Moore, the survey provider, believes that the responses indicate that women don't lack confidence per se, but actually have a fundamental misunderstanding of the interview process and candidacy process and don't appreciate that their male counterparts are not operating by the same rules as they are. 
So once again, we have this idea that women are somehow broken and misunderstanding their surroundings and the environment rather than assuming that women perhaps fully understand the environment and in fact know full well that they will not be hired based on potential. Now, I don't have solutions to institutional problems. I won't pretend that I do. And I won't pretend that you can do just a few little tricks and suddenly the organization within which you work will change. But the thing that I want you to take away from this podcast is that be very skeptical of anyone that's hired by your company or anyone who's trying to sell you something who wants you to feel as though your career isn't working out as you had hoped because of your errors, that there's something that you're doing wrong. Because the reality is this, for decades now, women have been entering the workforce in equal rates as men, and yet the numbers don't bear out when you look at senior leadership. So don't internalize that your career isn't advancing because of your shortcomings. That's not true at all. There is an institutional problem. And anyone who tells you that you can change an institution from within They're either selling the alleged solution or working for the institution. The reality is that you can only do so much and only have so much control in how your career plays in any institution. There comes a very critical moment in your career where you have to ask yourself, am I giving more to this company than they're giving to me? And is it worth it? Another way to look at this is say to yourself, I'm giving 150% and I'm getting back 80%. If I gave 80%, how much would I get back? The reality, probably 70%. That sounds like a lot better deal than what you're currently doing. And I know this is the antithesis of women's empowerment, work hard, play hard, but you know what? I think that's overrated. I am much more an advocate of working smart. And you shouldn't burn yourself out and you shouldn't put more into this relationship because let's be real, your relationship with your employer is just like any other relationship you have. And no one would tell you that you should be in a relationship where you're giving 130% and you're only getting 80, 60, 70% back. It's a mutual arrangement and you should act accordingly. That will give you room and time and space to figure out what your next step will be. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes you have to recalibrate. I don't know who has to hear this, but quitting isn't failing. Quitting is dumping a bad relationship, and no one can ever fault you for dumping a bad relationship. That wraps up my preliminary first episode of Toast Profesh. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram at ToastProfeshPod. Also, please email me or send me any voice memos, any feedback that you may have at ToastProfeshPodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. And if you like, feel free to rate me on whatever streaming service you use, Apple Podcasts, whatever. I'm really looking forward to going down this journey with you, and I look forward to hearing from you. Bye.